It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane. Welcome to the Class Teaching Podcast, the Durrington Research School podcast. It aims to explore educational research and provide insights into how being an evidence-informed practitioner can support teaching and learning. Educational research does not provide a silver bullet, but coupled with teacher expertise, it can provide us with tried and tested approaches that the evidence suggests may lead to promising outcomes. In each episode, we will draw upon the experience of a teacher with particular expertise in the area we are looking at. Darrington High School is a large coastal secondary comprehensive school based in West Sussex and has been designated a research school by the Education Endowment Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at Durring Research. The purpose of this podcast is to help busy teachers like you connect with the latest thinking around ideas in teaching. In an accessible and easy format, we realise there is a wealth of blogs being published every week. The Class Teaching Podcast will start with me reading a blog and then spending some time with the author unpicking their thinking. This way you can listen on the drive to work or while walking the dog, rather than having to find the time to sit down in front of your screen during a busy day. What remote learning has taught us about feedback by Fran Haynes. In the second instalment of this series from Durrington, we take a look at feedback. As a crucial part of classroom practice, remote learning has offered us the opportunity to reflect on the wealth of knowledge that we already have on feedback with a fresh set of eyes. This blog looks at feedback from two perspectives, feedback provided by the teacher for the student and feedback provided by the student that the teachers can use to assess their level of understanding. What we have tried, using voice recordings such as Moat to leave individual and whole class feedback on students' work providing whole class feedback for students in the stream in Google Classroom or via recorded videos, giving individual feedback to students via typed comments, teachers gleaning feedback from students via Google quizzes. Finally, teachers and students sharing feedback in a reciprocal way through live lessons, specifically by calling on students to answer questions in the chat function or by unmuting if they have access to a microphone, intervening as students work live, having an open style lesson where the teacher is present in a live capacity for students to call upon if they need help. What have we learned? Unlike explanation, feedback works best when it comes from the class teacher. Really effective feedback requires a fine level, granular approach and the work produced by students during remote learning has made this more obvious than ever. This is not saying that students require individual feedback on every piece of work but that their initial work needs checking at critical points for the feedback to be as effective as possible for all classes. The best type of feedback feeds forward. As many teaching colleagues will attest, it has been exasperating at times to get remote work submitted that is riddled by an easily fixed mistake. In class, we were able to spot this early on and intervene. In remote learning, this has proven more challenging to do. A solution has been to be more proactive about checking students' work at the planning and midway stage. This way, feedback can have an immediate impact and go some way to stopping the misunderstandings and misconceptions before they arise. Technology cannot replace the teacher, but it can really help. For example, once all of the students have submitted a response, 
Google Forms identifies commonly missed questions. This is incredibly powerful information that's easy to miss in a busy classroom, even with the most well-designed quiz. These questions can, be the, can then be the focus for the start of the next lesson. It takes minutes to plan, but is a surefire way of addressing gaps or insecurities in students' understanding. Linked to this, Moat allows teachers to see how many of their recorded verbal comments have been noticed or unnoticed by the students. Despite the research evidence telling us that feedback is often ignored by students, it is surprising and just a teeny bit dispiriting to see how many students really do not take any heed of the feedback we provide and instead just focus on getting the work done. Take up time matters. All of us have probably by now experienced the awkward and at times anxiety inducing scenario of asking a student to respond to a question during a live lesson and not getting anything back at all for what seems like eons. Then suddenly, as we're about to jump in to help, they respond. This has really emphasised the importance of allowing students thinking time after posing a question, and furthermore, how that thinking time probably needs to be at least double the length we normally provide. Some students are better than we ever realised. Away from the peer pressures of the classroom, some students have really excelled. It is not not uncommon for teachers to report that a student who, before remote learning, was not a shining example of commitment, is now dazzling their way through the work. Accordingly, we could argue that the feedback gathered during the last few months has perhaps started to dismantle some of the confirmation bias with which all teachers contend. What we will keep. As Dylan William explains, feedback needs to be a windscreen and not a rearview mirror. Going forward, teachers need to identify and intervene with feedback at critical points before mistakes and misconceptions occur. This could mean giving feedback on plans, partially completed work or chunks of learning rather than completed pieces. We need to make sure that students are not given the opportunity to ignore feedback. For example, part of retrieval quizzes or questioning could include asking students what their feedback was for a certain piece of work. Alternatively, before we accept work as complete, we could insist that students use feedback to check it themselves, thus prompting self-regulation and monitoring at the same time. Teaching at a screen has made it much more obvious when the same students are answering all of the questions, thus devaluing the formative assessment of the learning taking place. The buzz of physical classroom can make this imbalance much more difficult to discern, so creating a simple monitoring strategy is key. For example, using a seating plan to tick every time you ask a student a question is an easy way to check who you called upon and make adjustments as necessary. Finally, the example of students who have gone far beyond expectations during this remote period link, neatly with Hattie and Timberley's feedback model in their 2007 paper, The Power of Feedback. Here, the writers advocate only providing feedback on the task, process used by the student, or their self-regulation when completing the activity, rather than on the student's sense of self. I'm joined now um, by Fran Haynes, who is the Assistant Director of the Research School here at Durrington. So I just thought I'd ask Fran, what's the sort of the idea behind this series of, of the blogs? Sure, so um, we're taking the six teaching and learning principles that we have here at Durrington. So things like explanation, questioning, modelling, feedback, practice and so on. But we're looking at them through the lens of remote learning. So what we've learnt about them during this period, because obviously we've had to reflect and maybe use them in slightly different ways. And so what it's done is brought to the fore what is really important in terms of actually putting those principles into practice in the classroom, be it virtual or real life. So we're kind of just taking another look at them with that lens in place. Perfect, and do they all follow the same sort of pathway of what we've tried, what we've learned, yeah. and then what we'll so keep? Yeah, so the whole mini-series will use that structure. 
absolutely. Oh, lovely. So the idea of, sort of why this, why now, never more relevant to, to revisit how we're actually teaching. Um, and obviously in it, you're looking at things that have worked for remote teaching and, and how they might move forward. Perfect. So um, obviously this one focuses on feedback. So I just thought it'd be quite prominent just to sort of mention what, what is feedback? So feedback is where, is the, you know, if you look at the EF toolkit, it's one of the two most important strategies to use in the classroom. The other one being a sort of metacognition. So feedback is where you um, use information to identify a gap in understanding that the student has that needs to be filled in order for them to progress in their learning. And um, feedback can work in two ways. So it's feedback that the student gives the teacher about where they're at, but also the feedback that the teacher gives the student to help them move on across that and sort of bridge that gap. So the main purpose of, of feedback then would be to identify those learning gaps yeah identify the learning gaps but also identify what you need to tell the student and support them with to actually make progress and move on so giving them the opportunity to um, improve their work to move on with it and I think that's really really important point isn't it that the feedback that is given needs to then have some sort of benefit and purpose to the students to develop and, and cover or go over yeah. that gap. It needs to be something they can act on yeah. almost, you know, quite quickly so that they can um, practice it. Perfect. And what do you think the sort of potential barriers are? Um, obviously, it, now we've come out of the remote learning period, but also with feedback. Um, so with feedback in general, if we put remote learning aside, it's difficult because, um, you know, practical, practically in terms of the school day, it's difficult in terms of your lessons, thinking about where should I give feedback because you want the next task to be something that they can use that feedback on. So core subjects, for example, teach students quite a lot per week, but I think it can be more difficult for option subjects that maybe see them only once or twice a fortnight. So it can be difficult, you know, practically in terms, logistically in terms of timing it. But it can also be difficult because you have to be able to give them a task that's similar but different so they can act on it because you don't want them just repeating um the same task or you don't want to say to them this is what you need to do and then they just follow your instructions without really thinking about it and putting it into their long-term memory because they need to be able to use that strategy again for a different task so it's quite careful planning around what the feedback is but also what the task is going to be that they use to act on that feedback so one of the fundamental things in that is that the feedback you give isn't a case of let me follow those instructions. It's more the feedback needs to elicit thinking. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Williams says, you know, feedback needs to be harder work for the student than the teacher. Yeah. So feedback needs to make the student think hard about what's gone well here, what haven't I quite got right, and then about how do I get that right? What do I need to do now? Yeah. Um, in terms of remote learning, what we've learned... You know, the problem that we potentially face with feedback now is usually um, when we've got a class in front of us, we have an idea of where they're up to, even though they will be at different points with their understanding. We kind of know what we've taught them, what they've covered in class. Now, at the moment, we've got students coming back, some of whom have engaged completely and really flourished at home. Some of who have done it kind of surface level, got it done, and some who just haven't engaged at all for whatever reason. So we've got a real disparity. So the gaps, are, you know, there's a likelihood they're going to be more varied than ever. So identifying those gaps will be take a bit longer, I imagine. Um, and then we're going to have a big, big, big range. So we need to decide which are the ones that we're going to work on that's going to have the greatest impact for students. Yeah, so I mean, it's not it's not a sort of silver bullet, is it? It's going to be quite a, yeah. a tricky task. I think that's probably important to bear in mind that you've always got to 
choose a strategy or a way forward that has um, impact for the greatest number of students, you know, you're probably not going to find something that fulfills everything that you would like to do with your class. So it's about thinking a bit, um, look at the whole. Perfect. Um, just want to sort of move on and start to look at the, the feedback that can be provided by the student for the teacher. Um, can you just sort of talk a little bit about that and explain that? Yeah, I mean, all the principles tie together. So I think what you think about here is questioning. Yeah. Loads and loads of questioning in class. I forget who it is, but, you know, there's evidence that the best teachers are the ones that most of their lessons are asking questions to really identify what students understand and digging deep, so not asking one question and yeah. then moving on, but lots and lots of questions to check that. If they've got something right, why have they got it right? If they've got something wrong, why have they got it wrong? Telling them, right, that's wrong because you've got this misconception, let's clear that up now. Yeah. So, And also, obviously, through their work, through their sort of performance, their writing, PE or whatever, yeah. looking at that. But diagnostically it's probably I think most more powerful to do questioning and formative feedback on the little parts yeah. per lesson then wait for something big like an extended piece of writing to come in and have a whole raft of things yeah. that you need to give feedback on and I think that that links in with quite a common misconception especially with sort of early years teachers that this is what I need to get through in this lesson um, and I think it is Dylan William that mentions the idea of your lesson should not be a runway where you've got to get from A to B and students will jump on, some might be with you, some might be not. The whole idea is that, yes, you want to get to that point, but if at some point you question the students and you've realised they haven't actually got what I wanted them to understand by now, I need to then readapt and change what I was going to do. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely crucial that we make sure that our staff in schools and wherever we are are using the information students provide and then acting on it and sometimes the plan might go out the window and that's absolutely fine to do that. Yeah, I mean, plan for that to happen. Yeah. Is that, I mean, one of the things I've always been taught is think of your lesson on a spectrum rather than, like you said, a runway. Yeah. So I might go this way, I might go that way, I might go that way, you know, yeah. so you've got those avenues to go down. And it's about confidence to do that yeah. as well. Perfect. Um, obviously, you mentioned at the very start um, that the, this is one of the top two strands on the, the EF toolkit up there with metacognition. Now, one of the major things about metacognition that it's quite a, a concept that feeds into a lot of things. Do you see metacognition and feedback sort of working well together definitely this is one of the things i picked up in the blog i think is that you know we will as teachers we give feedback and we're constantly monitoring our students but we know that the students who are likely to be most successful are the ones who can monitor themselves yeah. so hattie and timpley for example they give four areas of feedback the three of which um they recommend is on the task and on the process and on the self so on the self is making giving feedback to the student about how well they have monitored and regulated and evaluated their work, um, as well as feedback on the work that they've produced, because that's really, really powerful. So. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So that, that, that's, that's good, because I think a lot of people see the EF toolkit and think, right, this is the strand, but a lot of them do intertwine Absolutely. with one another. Absolutely. It's more of a web yeah. than these separate strands going off. They all intertwine together. Oh, nice, nice with the concrete example there <laughs> as well. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you, um, was just this idea if there's anywhere else to, to look if someone wants to find a little bit more information yeah. about feedback I mean or... the guru obviously is Dylan William yeah. you could look at anything of his and what's interesting about Dylan William is he sort of um, looks back at his older work and critiques it himself so I'd definitely say look at his old stuff but look at his more recent stuff as well because he's changed his mind about a few things Hattie and Timperley the power of feedback I think they provide a really succinct easy to understand model 
of what feedback, effective feedback should look like in the classroom. So that's a really good paper to get hold of as Perfect. well. Um, Dylan William obviously has got a book, The Embedded Formative Assessment, but in that he obviously goes into depth about feedback as well. So that is, an, is a good, useful place to start. And then obviously the EF toolkit, as you've mentioned. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Fran, um, as ever. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Class Teaching Podcast by Durrington Research School. It's the Class Teaching Podcast with James Crane.